pray in the name of Jesus, Lord, that you give us eyes to see, minds to understand, Lord, what the Spirit of God is saying through this chapter this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so Genesis chapter 12. The background is really Genesis chapter 11, which is the genealogy of Shem. Who is Shem? Shem is the son of Noah. And it is through Shem that the line of the Messiah is going to sprout up. And that, of course, is through Abraham. We will begin with the life of Abraham this evening in Genesis chapter 12. But for the setting of Abraham being set out, it's important to recognize this. Remember, right before the flood, the worldwide judgment that God judged the world, he wiped out um, all mankind, all, all flesh, except for eight people in the ark. Noah, his wife, his daughters, I mean, rather his sons and their wives, and uh, of course all the animals in the ark, but the, there was judgment on planet earth. Before that happened, the thing that triggered that was Genesis 6, chapter Uh, Verse 5, rather, it says, The Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. It's really bad. So there's a judgment on planet earth, and lo and behold, by the time we get to Genesis chapter 12, it's about... 12 generations from Noah and they're right back where they were right before the flood at a place of um, it, of, of wickedness it just shows you it's a demonstration of just the effect that sin had on man how he was defiled Again, you know, Adam and Eve, they gave birth to, uh, they, they sinned, they gave birth to, to, to Cain and Abel. Within one generation, man was murdering each other. That's from a place of perfection where Adam and Eve were created perfect in the image of God. Within one generation, though, after the initial sin, they're murdering each other. And so you can imagine what happens within 12 generations. Um, that, you know, sin has a way of spiraling downward. And we all have stories in our own life where we started with something that didn't seem so bad. And then the next thing that's going on is we're in this just mess and this tangled web of evil and sin. And and so um, Genesis chapter 12 it's really right back to a very similar place that the world was in just prior to Noah. 
virtually the whole world was a land of idolatry. And idolatry, um, you may think, well, that doesn't, it's not so bad, you know. Um, what, what is a, what, what's the harm of, of you know, setting up little idols uh, and, and worshiping them? Well, idolatry is always the worship of um, our baser nature. So if you look at the idols in the Old Testament and the idols today, they were always idols um, worshiping the god of fertility. And, and so uh, really the worship of, of sensuality, or it would be the worship of, 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 of violence, or it would be just the, the worship of, of self. And, 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 and that leads to all kinds of other problems and evil whenever man is focusing on his self and his baser, baser, uh, on his baser nature. And so at the end of chapter 11, um, it says that, verse 31, it says, And Terah took his son Abram, now his name is going to change to Abraham, God's going to change his name, and his grandson Lot, the son of Haran, and his daughters-in-law Sarai, his son Abram's wife, his son Abram's wife, and they went out with them, from Ur of the Chaldeans to the land of Canaan, and they came to uh, to go to the land of Canaan, and they came to Haran and dwelt there. So the days of Terah were two hundred and five years, and Terah died in Haran. Now, how do I know, by the way, that um, the place that Abraham, Abraham started? Or left this place called Ur. Actually, can can we have that map? Do we have that map ready, Sean? We're going to look at the the uh, journey of Abraham. So Ur is right down here. It is in modern day Iraq. That's where it all got started. The the initiation of God's redemptive plan. For mankind, it all got started right here in this place, modern-day Iraq. And uh, it, it got started there, and he was, he's going to come. And here's Haran all the way up there. So he left Ur, and he went up to Haran. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 says, Now the Lord has, had, had said to a- Abram, Get out of your country from your family and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse him who curses you and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And so apparently what happened is that God chose Abraham to leave this place called Ur and uh Somehow his his dad gets involved, and his dad uh, goes and 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 really the whole family goes to to Haran. Now he was told to go. Um, he wasn't told really to settle down in Haran. He was told to settle down uh, in in Canaan in this area here. This is modern day Israel here, and. 
But what happens is that it appears that Abraham disobeys and he brings his family along. And his, um, his father, which remember his father is also an idol worshiper, Abraham was too. And they were taken from this place and being the patriarchal society that they were at the time, his father gets them to, to stay there. Now, I think this is, I like this place up there in Haran. This is modern day Turkey. Uh, we, we're going to stick out here. It says that Abraham, Lord, the Lord called Abraham out of the land of Ur. I think Genesis 17 uh, makes that very clear. We'll see that in a few chapters. But notice here, it says in verse 1, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house. But he doesn't do that. He brings his father along. Now, so many times, the problem is, and we have hundreds of testimonies along this way, our family is our biggest problem to obeying the Lord. And God calls us out of our family. That's what he does with Abraham. His father was an idol worshiper, and God was, had a plan, and he, his plan was to, uh, look, man on his own is, I judged the whole world, the time of Noah, and man on his own has, has come twice to the same place of wickedness, where his, the thoughts of his heart are only evil all the time, and, and so God's going to call Abraham, he's going to uh, use Abraham to initiate uh, a uh, really a, a nation and a heritage of faith and, which is ultimately going to result in, in Jesus Christ himself uh, being born. Uh, but, but Abraham just can't help it and he, and he brings his father along. He brings his father along. God knew, but, but God uh, knew the influence of his family and he had told him, you got to get out from your family and your father's house. And so it appears from the text, it appears clear that these are wasted years of Abraham's life up in this place called Haran. Wasted years where um, he still is overcome by the influence of his father. But the problem is his father is, is an idol worshiper. And, and the problem is his, God is not speaking with his father. He's speaking with him. You know, God does ask us sometimes to do things that are really hard and difficult. He, he, he can call a, a person away from their family and, and it, sometimes uh, in order to for God to, to work his way through them because um, God knows they're unequal, unequally yoked to the family. And, and so, you know, uh, I know for, for me personally, if, if, if a vote had been taken of sort of Stephanie's family and my family, we never would have come into the city of Boston. We would have been outvoted. And... and it, there are times where we just need to obey the voice of the Lord regardless of what the family is saying. Now, I was speaking at a wedding yesterday. 
and I taught from Luke chapter 9, which says this, in the life of Jesus, as, as Jesus journeyed along the road, someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Then he said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. And another said, Lord, I'll follow you, but let me first go and bid farewell to those who are in my house. And Jesus said to him, knowing no one, having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now, all three of those things, all three of those folks, fox have holes, birds of the air have nests, he tells one guy. Another guy says, let the dead bury their dead. You go and preach the kingdom of God. And, and finally, he says, no one having put his hand at the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. The issue in each of those, those guys' heart was the home. You see, Jesus knows the way we are. He knows we will be held back so often by, by, what's, by what's good. But good is the enemy of the best. The best is following the Lord. And the good news is if these guys had decided to follow Jesus in Luke 9, the next thing that happened is they all got into a boat. And there's a huge storm in the middle of the lake. And whoever got to follow him in the boat got to see this incredible miracle of Jesus with the word calming the storm. And so if you're willing to obey the Lord and the Lord alone and not let anything be a, a, a hindrance, and particularly a family that, at least in the case of Abraham, they didn't even believe God. They were idol worshipers. You will see the power of God. And uh, some, it's not infrequently I have to quote um, Luke chapter 14 to people, which even gets more intense. Jesus says, if anyone comes uh, to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, what does he mean by that? Well, you have to look at the whole Bible. Obviously, the Bible says we're supposed to love our parents and honor them and love our wife and love our husband and kids. But when you have them as an idol, that word hate, it means you need, to, you need to cast aside that part of you that is idolizing someone in your family, and you need to do the will of God. You need to do the will of God. So Abraham told to leave his family and get out of his father's house. He's told this in the land of Ur. Uh, he doesn't follow that part, and he winds up wasting years. Now, to me... One of the most remarkable thing of Genesis chapter 12, it's a unilateral covenant. It's a unilateral promise, meaning whether or not he got things perfect or even his descendants got things perfect, God was going to do a work. And what was he going to do? Verse 2, I will make you a great nation. That's a unilateral promise. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. All these things 
regardless of the faithfulness of, of Abraham. Now, he, he is the father of faith. We're going to see him in this chapter mess up really, really bad. But regardless of what he did, it was not going to stop God from fulfilling this promise. Verse 3 again, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curse you, meaning speaking there of the Jews, the Israelites. He's, he's going to do it, but most importantly, at the end of verse 3, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And that's in his descendants. In his descendants. All the families of the earth shall be blessed. You know, this, uh, to me, truly is an amazing thing. On, on, on Sunday mornings, we're in, we're in Ephesians on Sunday mornings, and uh, last Sunday, we were in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 9, where Paul tells the Ephesians at the very beginning of the letter that God, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in, he, in him. Meaning history is moving somewhere. It's going in a particular direction. If you look at a history book, it's not all this random chaos although sometimes it may look that way. It's actually moving in a direction, and the direction that it's moving in started in Genesis chapter 12. That's where it all started. It started with this, this statement to this guy, Abraham, and just not to a handful of folks that went with him that, that said, in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And, and, and at this time, he's just probably, I don't know, a couple hundred people going off on the journey. Now, at the time this was written by Moses, this was written by Moses, there may be a few million people at the time this was written, a couple thousand years later. However, um, even at the time of Moses when this was written, the Jews are still way less than one pop. 1% of the population of planet Earth. Now, I was thinking to myself, for a while in my youth, I lived in, I moved from Massachusetts to a place in South America, Venezuela, and about Venezuela in South America. It's about 12 million people. And I was just thinking, what if some Venezuelan got up and said, you know, through, through this country, all nations in the Earth someday, all families of the Earth will be blessed. I mean, that would have been the most ridiculous comment. I mean, at the end, it, it, that would be the most silly comment. And, and sometimes it's worth it for us taking a step back and, and considering this is a crazy, crazy thing for this guy to just come up with. Actually, he was a very humble man. He was not a proud man. But either this is God speaking here or Abraham was completely out of his mind. I mean, you talk about an egomaniac, a megalomaniac. I mean, someone who says, you know, someday you're less than 1% of 1% of 1% of planet earth, but someday all families of the earth shall be blessed through you. I mean, he's either got to be an egghead 
or this is really the God speaking in them. <laughs> and of course, we know because we've seen, we can look at um, the history books that this is exactly what has happened on planet Earth. Now, even at the time of Jesus Christ, the Jews were 1% or 2% of the population of planet Earth, had, uh, had only heard of the truth of Jehovah. But of course, after Jesus died and was resurrected and the Great Commission was put into effect, a, you know, a, 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 the better part of the world now knows who Jesus is. Now, there are some tribes and people who's never heard of Jesus. You can go to Asia and, and find those people. But um, it's amazing that we can look at a history book and actually see it, and actually see it and say, wow, that really is true. History is moving in a certain direction. And it all starts here in chapter 12. Why did um, God have to do it? Because already twice, man, in and of himself, it was clear that they were going to be consumed by their own wickedness. So God has to, to step in. So I, I love the, word, uh, the verse, I think it's in Isaiah, where God looks throughout the whole world and sees if someone someone's arm can bring salvation and saw there was no man so he had to work it for himself and so genesis 12 actually the book of genesis is, uh, is so foundational to everything we believe but it's foundational to really the history on planet earth in fact these first few verses again it says I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curse you. You just look at a history book, and look what happens to countries who bless Israel. Just, just read it. Read what happens. And look what happens to countries who curse Israel. Look what happens to them. The history books just speak for themselves. And, and so, look, um, the best possible foreign policy decision a nation can make is to support Israel. Obviously, Israel is going to make mistakes. It doesn't mean you agree with everything they do. It doesn't mean that, that you know, they say they're going to do some goofy thing. Oh, yeah, go ahead and do that because, you know, we're supposed to. No. Uh, you know, you, you try to influence their policy because they have done things that... that um, uh, that are foolish and wrong at certain times, but the overall foreign policy must be to support Israel. The day the United States withdraws its support from Israel, oh no, <laughs> you know, I think we're, I, I, at that point, Lord, I really want you to rapture us out because things are going to get really bad. But why has the United States been blessed arguably more than any other country? in the history of the world because we supported Israel. That's what I believe. It says right here in Genesis chapter three, uh, chapter 12, verse 3, I will bless those who bless you. And so um, you want to be, a country wants to be on the right side of this covenant, I would say. Um, so verse 4 says, Abraham, Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. Ah, oh, Abraham, why are you taking Lot? 
It says, Abraham, it says right in verse 1, get out uh, of your country from your family and from your father's house. Why are you taking Lot? Lot? Lot really represents the flesh. Lot planted himself in the plains of Sodom. Pretty soon he was in Sodom. Why? He was attracted to it. Now it does say in Second Peter that it refers to righteous Lot, you know, gnashing his teeth because he was around so much wickedness and you know, compared to the Sodomites, the, fo- the folks from Sodom, the, that population, he was righteous. And there was a righteousness in him because of his association with, with Abraham. But he would, he's going to wind up, Abraham's going to wind up with many, many problems because he disobeyed God in this area. Lot is going to be kidnapped by Actually, the king of Sodom at one point, Lot was going to have to be rescued from Sodom. Lot's, um, the, the servants who work for Lot and the servants who work for Abraham would be getting into arguments. It's so much easier to obey God, guys and gals. It's just so much easier. Now, I, I do thank God that that when we disobey him in an area of our life, eventually, you know, he, he works things out that, 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 you know, we come around. Okay. Finally. Yes, Lord, I, I will. I, I learned my lesson. I'll obey you, all of you, but it takes a while. And, and, and lot is going to be a big problem. Lot was never supposed to even be with Abraham though, because again, verse one, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house. Lot was from his father's house. Verse 5. Then Abram took Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people whom they had acquired in Haran, and they departed to go to the land of Canaan. So they came to the land of Canaan. So and to wait until his father died, and the influence of his father um, perished. For six, Abram passed through the land of the, uh, to the place of Shechem as far as the terebinth tree of Morah, and the Canaanites were in the land. So here we are. Oops, what happened? It's your breath. And, oh, sorry. You guys don't want that? So here's uh, Haran, and so he... Uh, Abraham comes down here, and here is the here's the land of Canaan, modern day, modern day Israel, right there. And the Canaanites were in the land, also, of course, originally from the uh, the line of 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 Noah, from the line of Noah, Noah's son Ham. Canaan, remember, was cursed. And so those cursed people were living in the land. Verse 7, Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land. So Abraham went out, really, when he left Ur, he went into a land, to a place that he he did not know. It's it, it it is unclear exactly when he found out exactly where he was supposed to go. 
Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8 says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. So I don't know if it was the type of thing that, you know, the Lord's saying, okay, go north, go south, and then finally it's okay, you stop right here. It's, it's a little unclear. But you guys need to understand this is what faith is. This is what faith is. It's always doing something where you do not know what the outcome is exactly going to be or how it's going to happen. It's just trusting God. And when we trust God in that environment, that's where the relationship with God becomes rich. But I, I, I remember when we were, I was originally called to, to come back to, to Boston. I don't know. I didn't know. I didn't know anything about a Calvary Chapel in the Boston area. There happened to be one 45 minutes south. I didn't even know this. This was before the days of the Internet. I didn't know how we were going to start a church. There was no one going with us. But I just had to believe the call of God that, he was going to put it all in place for us. And, 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 and you all too. Just the nature of faith is you do not know. And it's not because God is sadistic or something. He just wants us to live in the dark. It, it's because he wants our hearts. And, and if we could see into a crystal ball of everything that was in the future, we wouldn't pay attention to him. It's because we don't know that so often we're clinging to him by faith that we're clinging to him uh, by faith. So he does get to, uh, he, he does get to, to Canaan. I believe it's not until this time that he knows this is the place. That's my personal belief. Some people think that at some point along the way, okay, it's Canaan. You're supposed to go to the land where all the Canaanites um, are. I, I, I think right here. Verse 7, when uh, the Lord appears to Abraham and says, to your descendants, I give this land. And then it says, and then he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. So Abraham um, is the father of faith. He's a worshiper and he's a lover of God. And, And that's the work that the Lord did in his life. You know, without faith, it's impossible to please God. But, and that's why faith is so incredibly important. You know, love is greater than faith. The Bible says these things remain faith, hope, love, and the grace of these is love. No question that, that love is greater than faith, but faith precedes love. You're not going to be able to love unless you have faith first, unless you can proceed by faith to love, because love is always the denial of self. And without faith, you're going to say, well, this doesn't make sense that I should deny self and bless this person or bless that person. Without faith, you're never going to do that. Now, love is the consummation of what God wants to do through faith. But, um, and it is, it is the most perfect way. I will show you the more excellent way, and that, that's love, uh, Paul says. But it does begin with, with faith. And faith begins with just following the voice of God, following the word of God uh, as well. And, he's, and, and a big part of faith... You, you, Faith is worshiping God. It, you know, to, 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 to try to separate those two is a little foolish. I mean, uh, I suppose you can have faith and, 
and, and not worship God. But the faith in all its fullness, there's a worship. Worship is right at the center of it. And so here you have this man. He's worshiping. Thank you, God. He's, he's building an altar. And he's worshiping God right there. He built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. Now, uh, we know that the second person of the Trinity is Jesus Christ. And, uh, and, and theologians will tell you, and I think they're right, that when you see an appearance of God in the Old Testament, that is Jesus himself. And so it appears that there's a, an appearance of Jesus himself right here in verse 7. And there he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. Verse 8. And he moved from there to the mountain east of Bethel. Actually, is that there? Is Bethel there? So here's Bethel down here uh, to south. And he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. And so he is a worshiper. Wherever he goes, he worship. Wherever you guys go, you need to worship God. No such thing as taking a vacation of God. If you're taking a whatever, vacation to Tempe, Arizona. You should be seeking out a church and going to church and worshiping him. If you are going to um, China or Singapore or Kyrgyzstan, you should be seeking out um, a, a church, believers, to worship the Lord together. And so you, you see here, he's a worshiper. He, go, he builds an altar in one place, worships, goes to the next place and worships God again there. Verse 9, so, so Abram journeyed going on still towards the south. Now there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to dwell there, for the land was severe, but rather for the famine was severe in the land. Okay, let's pause and think about this. God told him to go to a place he did not know. And when he got there, he said, this is the place you're supposed to stay. And what happens? There's a famine there. He was never supposed to leave and go to Egypt. You will find that the place that God sends you to, sometimes you get there, there's a famine you're by yourself. You feel isolated. You, 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 and I don't want to minimize this. This is a, 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 There wasn't mass food production here, and there wasn't airless from the United States of America, the military uh, coming in with helicopters and dropping food. This is a serious thing. God calls us to do serious, hard things. And, 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 and there's a famine there. Now, God is faith. We're weaklings when it comes to faith, and faith needs to be exercised. And at this time, he still had spiritual weakness in a lot of his faith muscles. His faith mu- muscles were weak, so weak, he's like, oh no. Fear gets into his heart, and he goes down to Egypt, and it's going to be a big, gigantic mess when he goes to Egypt. He wasn't supposed to ever go to Egypt. It's interesting that in Canaan, Canaan relies on rain. And so you really have to live by faith in Canaan. 
Egypt had a big river. So even when there was a famine, there was sustenance there. In the Bible, Egypt is always a type of the flesh. And throughout the Bible, you, even after they're rescued from um, Egypt, the Israelites always had a habit of wanting to go back there and escape back to Egypt. So you want to go back to Egypt, if you don't know that song by Keith Green. Oh, man, what are, you're missing a lot. But anyway, we're always wanting to escape back to Egypt. Bad idea. And he, he goes to Egypt. God's best for him would have been to exercise his faith and stay and see the handiwork of God. I remember when I was working in a, in a corporation before I went full-time here, I thought of all those plumbers and business for themselves and construction folks and business for themselves and uh, electricians who just real, really relied on basically the rainfall rather than a river. In corporate America, there's this big river, you know. And you don't have to worry if a job's going to come in the next day because someone else is bringing you all the work. And I've always admired people who are in business for themselves because they're relying on the Lord to bring in their next client. And so that's why a lot of these guys, they have a lot of faith. And women, they have a lot of faith. They're women in business for themselves or men. And they just see the handiwork of God. And they get to exercise their faith muscles. Meanwhile, people working in corporate America, they're spiritual weaklings sometimes when it comes to that stuff. But he's always called there. Uh, there's a famine there. Don't be surprised when you're in the will of God. And, and it just seems like, oh, no, nothing's happening. And, and I know for a fact, and I've told you guys this many times, or some of you I've told this many times, man, when we first got to Boston, really, it was, it was a winter season for years. There was just a winter season here. I, I, I didn't really see. It was a famine. I really didn't see any evidence that God was going to do anything or very little evidence or certainly not the evidence that, that I wanted to see. It's the nature of faith. God is calling us to his himself, to cling to him, to, to, to have faith uh, in him. So a remarkable thing. He goes down to Egypt and uh, it says the famine was severe in the land. It came to pass, verse 11, when he was close to entering Egypt, that he said to Sarah, his wife, Indeed, I know that you are a woman of beautiful countenance. Therefore, it will happen when the Egyptians see you and they will say, This is his wife. And they will kill me, but they will let you live. Very interesting at the time that uh, Egyptians had a problem with adultery. They didn't want to do adultery, but they had, didn't have a problem with murder. <laughs> and, and so uh, um, Abraham anticipated the Egyptians looking at his wife, envying, and saying, envying Abraham and just knocking him off and, and, and getting his wife. Verse 12 and here's the problem. When you leave faith, when you leave the, when you leave the path of faith, you're going to be trying to do things in your own strength, in your own wisdom, coming up with your own concoctions. And here's, here's 
Here's a concoction for you. If you want a concoction, don't go to a bar. Don't do that. Just go to Genesis 12, 12. Therefore, it will happen when the Egyptians see you that they will say, this is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will let you live. Please say that you are my sister, that it may be well with me for your sake, that I may live because of you. Uh, wow, not exactly the way to endear yourself to your wife, but um, again, you know, when you leave the path of faith, uh, not, not only do you come up with your own concoctions, but you start behaving less and less loving to those around you. That's what I've seen and observed in my own life, but also in the lives of others. So it was when Abram, verse 14, came to Egypt and the Egyptians saw the woman that she was very beautiful. The princes of Pharaoh also saw her and commended her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken to Pharaoh's house and he treated Abraham well for her sake. He had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male and female servants, female donkeys and camels. So some people think there was an agreement here. You know, you give me that woman... Uh, I'll give you sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male and female servants, uh, this, this type of thing, camels. And so there's major compromise. It's good to know. Um, it's good to know that um, a man who's a man described in the Bible as a friend of God and 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 also the father of faith, that there's a failure here. It can encourage us when we fail. Hey, Scott, it's, it's a little warm in here. Could you uh, just see if we can adjust the air conditioner? Thank you. Verse 17. Oh, my. The most glorious... The, the most glorious... Work, the most glorious word in the Bible is the word B U T, but. And you see this throughout the Bible man getting themselves into a mess, but then it says, but the Lord, but God. But the Lord plagued Pharaoh. See, you know, when, when, when Abraham was, was doing the stuff that he did. He's not only jeopardizing his own wife by giving her to Pharaoh, he's jeopardizing the entire plan of salvation of God. And, and, and I'm very grateful that God's plan of salvation is not dependent on men. And so God intervenes here and... He plagues Pharaoh in his house with great plagues, again, because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. And, and Pharaoh called Abram and said, what is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me about, tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? I might have taken her as my wife. Now, therefore, here is your wife. Take her and go your own way. Now, another thing is, that is v- very 
encouraging and one of the one of the most wonderful things about this chapter how many people in here while being a christian have been gotten into trouble with a boss who is an unbeliever anybody raise my hand or someone else who's an unbeliever you get rebuked or corrected by them for doing something that's wrong and you're thinking to yourself I'm supposed to be the one doing the right thing and yet I'm being corrected because of this really stupid thing that I did. I'm being corrected. Well, take heart because the same thing happened with Abraham. Here he is. um, So oftentimes God will use an unbeliever, will use a boss or someone else in your life who's an unbeliever really to to smack you upside the head and get you back into the will of God. And so uh, that, is what, that is what happens here. And um, it says in verse 20, So Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. So there you have it. Um, you have a picture of what happens when we don't obey all of God's word. It seems expedient so many times to not obey all of God's word. Well, this one area of my life, I need to help God out. But no, all it does, it just leads to problems. It just leads to problems. That's, that's, that's all that happens. And so um, he is sent on his way. And uh, we'll see him um, as a better example of faith at times uh, in, in, in succeeding chapters. But here he is. He's, he's at the beginning of his walk and his faith is being built. His faith is being strengthened. His faith is his his faith muscles are being exercised. That's a it's an encouragement uh, to us as we read here about the father of faith. Okay, at this time I'm going to close. We are going to have a time of prayer, and on uh, on Sunday nights we we close the service with prayer. And we want to separate into groups of four.